All right, well, good morning. Last weekend, I was hanging out with me and Roman, my 18 month old, it was just us, and it was Saturday morning, and my life was pretty much completely changed. He was watching some nursery rhymes on the TV as I was getting ready so we could leave, and it had the subtitles on, and I was in the kitchen. I happened to look up at this point. It was during the song, London Bridge is Falling Down, and I learned, uh, finally, that that song is not referring to multiple bridges in London falling down, but in fact is London Bridge is falling down. I have always thought until this moment that it is London Bridges, as in there is multiple bridges in London falling down. I have no idea why. It's a nursing rhyme. You don't ask questions, right? But I saw that it's London Bridge is. Now, in my defense, we don't say it that way. We say London Bridges. Like, we don't emphasize that that there's a word is there, right? So my entire life, I thought one thing and then realized that my mind was blown, uh, that I was completely wrong in how that song goes. Uh, My wife, Christina, had a similar story, although hers did not last quite as long. When she first learned the ABCs, she thought LMNOP were not letters, but it was like a rift in the middle of the song, like ABCD, EFG, HHJK, LMNOP, then QRS, and you get back into it, right? It wasn't until much later, Now I don't know what she thought about the LMNO and P, like she used those letters. I don't know where she thought they were in the alphabet, but she didn't think they were in the alphabet, right? She thought one thing. It took a while. She found out something else. Now, I share that story because today and really the next couple of weeks, we are looking at something that I think if you're a follower of Christ and maybe you've been one for a while, that, that there's a lot of confusion over. There's a lot of debate over. There's a lot of, I'm not even sure what to think about that. And we're going to be talking specifically about the Holy Spirit and what it looks like for the Spirit suit and dwell believers. And so as we begin, I just want to begin with this question. Do you know how God has gifted you? If you're a follower of Christ this morning, would do you know, if I ask this question, how has God gifted you What's through his spirit? What has he done in, in your life? How has he planned to use you? I think most of us, although I wouldn't say all, but many of us, and I would include me in this question too, uh, for the longest time would say, I am not sure. Or maybe there's a couple of things that I'm like passionate about, but I don't know if that counts as like a gift of the Holy Spirit or, uh, you know, maybe I took a spiritual gifts test at one point and they say a couple of those things. So maybe, maybe that's what it is. And that's what we're going to be looking at. And so if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, For the majority of this year, uh, we have been in a series called Masterclass, walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, who Paul, who is the writer of this letter, is pretty much writing to the church in Corinth and explaining to us how the gospel impacts every area of our lives. So if you'd like to read along and don't have a Bible, there's a black one in front of you. And if you want to take that one home, if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Now, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we started with Act, or 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and really from 11 to the end of the book, it's kind of crazy, but crazy in a good way. So let me just make two disclaimers as we begin this morning. First, that you may be a little bit more confused about the Holy Spirit and His gifting when you leave than when you walked in here this morning. But as one scholar put it, where the, uh, where the Bible is clear, we should be clear. And when, we, when, we, when it's confusing, we don't have to be as clear. And so my goal here is this, to hopefully maybe bring some clarity a little bit, but also maybe at the same time bring some confusion if that makes any sense. And so let me just say this as well. Uh, I would highly encourage you, although I would encourage you to do this anytime, to join us over the next four weeks. It's really quite difficult to talk about all the things of the Holy Spirit and just one message. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be hitting different angles of that. So particularly if this is a subject that is interest, of interest to, uh, for you, coming just one or a couple of weeks, I think you're going to miss out on the full picture. And so that being said, uh, we'll get into it. First Corinthians chapter 12. To begin, uh, I just want to read verses 1 and verses 7. So before we get kind of confused about how this might play out in our life. The point of the Spirit in our life is abundantly clear. And here's the point, verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be unaware 
The question is, what does he not want us to be unaware about? We find it in verse 7, that a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Now, to be clear here, Paul is writing to Christians. He's assuming, not, maybe not assuming, but the, the, the people that are reading this letter are followers of Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ, then he's talking about how the Holy Spirit has indwelled in you and given you gifts. And so the gifts that we are talking about are different than natural giftings or passions that you have. Yes, I do think that God gives us our natural giftings as well, but he's specifically talking about, he's going to, over the course of chapter 12 and the course of chapter 14, what does it look like if you're a follower of Christ for the Spirit to do things in you that apart from being a follower of Christ, you would not be able to do or experience. Uh, And so before we get into how that all plays out, here's what I want us to be clear on, and here's what I want us to know as we look into this. That every believer is gifted by God. His point here is that if you are a follower of Christ, each person has been given a God's spirit. Now, I want to be make a maybe a startling, although I'm not really trying to do that, a point about this. That it is literally from hell to believe otherwise. I think a lot of times, especially in our Western culture today, we kind of assume that God might only want to use certain people, like the pastors or the missionaries or the really people, people that are really holy. But for me, you might be thinking, there's not much I can do. What we're going to see is that is emphatically not true. And if you believe the lie that you do not have a role to play, a part to play, that God does not want to use you in some way, then you will miss out on what God wants to do. I think of it this way. I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with the Strengths Finders test. It's got a, there's a book and all sort of thing. Basically, you take this test and it gives you uh, a list of like there's like 40 strengths and it gives you your top five strengths so that you can know you know what does it look like to use these you know these natural giftings well and also how to be careful if you're not careful you know how your strengths can actually be weaknesses. And so I've taken this this test thing many times ever since I was in high school. And uh, every single time I've taken the test, my first and second strength have always been the same, and the second three have changed. So the first one, uh, it was futuristic, just means like you're always thinking about the, the future, vision, you want to get people on the same page for like a common goal. But the second one was competition, which just means that I am hyper-competitive, that I hate losing. In fact, it's not so much that I want to win, it's just that I cannot stand to lose. And I've, if you've been here, you know you've heard me share stories, and this is like, this is literally true. That, for example, every time I play a board game, whether it's a, even a game that is completely by chance, like if you ever played Apples to Apples or Exploding Kittens, like a game that has nothing to do with skill, I literally always have to tell myself, Dylan, it does not matter who wins. It does, like, just have fun. It does not matter, right? Why? Because if I don't think I can win, here's a, this is why I'm sharing this story. Because one of my regrets in life, as being someone who's probably hyper, too, too competitive, is that there have been many times where I have not pursued an opportunity, a hobby, a desire, with the assumption that I'm just not good enough, so there's no point in even trying. Like, for example, and I'm not trying to be like, all oh, the glory days. Let's just give you a practical example for me of something that I regret. When I was in eighth grade, I tried out for the soccer team. I think the only reason I made it is because the tryouts were extended, and I was already planning to go out of town, and so I missed the last day. And so he realized, oh, he wasn't here. I guess I got to add him to the team because that would be mean. So I get there, probably the last one to make it, right? But by the end of the year, I was starting, and it was fun, right? So we go to college, or college, that would be crazy, high school. And a week after school starts, like uh, JV tryouts are coming out. One of my friends from the team was like asking me, you know, are you excited for tryouts? And I just told him, no, I wasn't trying out. And he was like, why? And I don't know what excuse I gave him, but I just assumed that I was never going to be that good. And now it's probably true. Like I was never going to be that good. But even riding the bench on JV for the first two years still would have been fun. But because I assumed that I would not be good enough, I didn't try. And there are so many stories I can tell you over the course of my life 
where that has happened, where I just assumed that I wasn't going to be good enough, that I certainly wasn't going to succeed in this, so I'm just not going to do it. And I think when it comes to how God wants to use you if you're a follower of Christ, when you assume that God can't use you, you miss out, not because of something God does or doesn't want to do in your life, it's because you assume that you can't be used. And so here's why it's important for us to know that every believer is gifted by God. Because your availability determines your contribution. So let me be clear here. It's not how smart you are. It's not how much money you make. It's not where you live. It's not your gender. It's not your education level. Like a lot of times we think, as long as I do these certain things, only these certain people can be used by God. And what we see all throughout Scripture, that the predominant use of people that God uses are people that are castaways or castouts, people that think that they can do nothing in their life, people that are not powerful in society. They are the down and the out, the lowly. Those are the people that God uses. Why? Because oftentimes, those are the people that said, God, I'm available. I will do whatever you ask me to do. So it's not about your natural skills. It's not about how smart you are, how much money you make. It's your availability that determines your contribution. And I want to be clear about this when it comes to contribution, that we are not talking about numerical impact. See, I think sometimes we assume, you might assume, for example, I'll just use me for example, that you might assume, okay, yeah, I want to be available by God, but I'm not going to make that big of a difference. Like maybe I have this friend or this coworker that I've been serving and loving on and maybe trying to be intentional about my faith when I can, but that's just one person. Like I'm not going to make that much of a difference. Let me just say that God has all of us doing different things for different reasons. And so you might compare yourself to me, for example, and be like, well, I only impact this one person, but New City, Dylan, for example, whatever, might be impacting people, 100-something people a week. But I just want to say, like, who, the reason we exist is because of people like you that give, people that you, like, that you let serve. And let me just tell you, what I'm doing right now, this is the easy part. Nobody's interrupting me. Nobody's asking me any difficult questions. Like, we all come in here, and we sit, and we listen. Like, this is easy. But you might assume that because I'm talking to maybe more people in one week than you might, that my contribution is greater. And that is completely untrue, that God has us in different seasons, in different places, that collectively together we are the church and we make a difference. Nobody would show up if it wasn't for you. Nobody would show up if it wasn't for you. So again, every believer is gifted by God, and it is your availability that determines the contribution that you can make. Not your giftedness, not how awesome you are, your availability. Now, that being said, let's get into what Paul is talking about here, about how the gifts might play out in our life. So again, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be unaware. Now, already we have a little bit of confusion, a little bit of a problem, because Paul is originally writing this letter in Greek, and in Greek there's no word, nor does he use the phrase spiritual gifts. Paul does not actually use the phrase spiritual gifts. Now, it gets translated that way just for uh, uh, make things concise and make things under, understandable, but because the, the literal more translation would be confusing. He's literally saying the spirituals or the spiritual things. And what he's talking about here is the manifestations of the Holy Spirit among believers. And he does not want them to be unaware of the Holy Spirit's power and presence in their lives. I think of it this way. Uh, Christina and I, my wife Christina and I, between the two of us, she's the one that's a little bit more organized and clean than I am. Like, I'm not a complete slob, but a mess don't bother me. And we've been married for over eight years now, and I still don't understand how she can't figure out how sometimes, some nights, like for example, I will leave things out on the counter or next to the front door so that I won't forget those things so that I'll bring them with me tomorrow. If I've got something i got to go to, something I, I need to bring with me, I'll intentionally leave it out so that I don't forget it. 
Now, she has not quite figured out the difference between when I leave something out on purpose and when I leave something out on accident. I don't know why I can tell the difference. She can't. So what does she do? So oftentimes, she will clean up what I purposely leave out, and I leave the house that day, and I forget about it. Why? Because I'm unaware. I'm forgetful about that thing. And Paul does not want that to happen in the life of a believer. He does not want you to be unaware that the Spirit has desires and plans to use you. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you used to be enticed and led astray by mute idols. What he's talking about here specifically to the Corinthians that were not Jews was their pagan past. In other words, that they would worship the Roman gods, uh, go to the temples and do all these things. And he wants to remind them that following and worshiping and trusting in Jesus is different than following these different idols. That these idols were mute, you could be translated that as dumb, that they were fake, that they did not exist, they could not do anything for you, that you would try to earn your favor, their favor to do things for you. And he says, remember that that is not who God is. God is a God of grace, of love, and forgiveness. So don't approach God the way that you would approach these idols. And then he says this in verse 3, therefore, I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a little bit of confusion of what Paul is actually saying there. When he says Jesus is cursed, he could be saying that people are literally like cursing Jesus, like he doesn't exist, you know, all these sorts of things, like he's literally cursing Jesus. Or he could be referencing the fact that some of them were maybe using God's name in vain, just like how we would today. But the point, although that's a little bit confusing, here's the point that it is the Spirit who convicts people and saves people. That's why he says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying this, that if you are a follower of Christ, this means, and it is evidence of, the Spirit's working in your life. That it is not that you just woke up one day and decided to start following Jesus. That the Holy Spirit was convicting, was showing your need for Him, that was leading you to repent and to trust in Jesus. Now, if you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus, but you feel like you're here for some reason, or you've had ideas or a desire to know God more, I want you to know that that is not just something happening in your brain. That is the Holy Spirit showing you that God loves you, that God cares for you, and He's inviting you in to trust and follow Him. And Paul's point is this again, that if you are a follower of Christ, you cannot say you don't have the Holy Spirit because it's a spirit who worked in you to save you. Uh, in other words, you could put it this way, that all followers of Christ have God's Spirit. That all followers of Christ have God's Spirit. It's not something that you just decided that if you were in Jesus, that this passage, what we're speaking about today and over the next few weeks, has practical implications, not just for everybody else in the room, but for you. I like, I like what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 in a different book, in, in verse 13. He puts it this way. He says, in him, talking about God, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and, were also, and you also believed, were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, the Holy Spirit seals you. In other words, that God will never turn his back on you. He will never reject you no matter what you may do or not do. That God is always there. He is always faithful. And the Holy Spirit is kind of like our inheritance. It's our down payment. Think of it this way. It's like when you buy a house, right? And you, you put a down payment on the house. You have not paid off the house. You do not fully own the house yet, but you can live in it like it is yours. So it is for us. 
Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, your salvation will not be fully realized until you enter into the kingdom of God. But until that happens, the Holy Spirit is your inheritance. You can think of the Holy Spirit this way, that it's like the Oprah Winfrey Christmas special. You get one, and you get one, and you get one. Like We all get one. It's absolutely amazing. And if there's nothing else but you walk away with today remembering that the Holy Spirit is like the Oprah Winfrey Christmas special, I'm good with that. Because that means you're reminded that the Spirit rests in you, that all followers of Christ have a Spirit. All followers of Christ are gifted by Him. And so because of that, he says this in verse 4. Now how, the question is, how does this play out? He says, now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces each gift in each person. In other words, it's the Spirit who empowers believers with his manifestations, with these spiritual things, or with gifts from him, because they are gifts. However, how that plays out in your life and in the lives of various believers is different. Right? It comes from the same God. It's one God, but it plays out differently. And the point is that these spiritual manifestations in our lives are, are designed to bring us together and not to separate us. As we're going to see over the next few weeks, one of the biggest reasons uh, for the, maybe the gifts of the Spirit and why there's controversy and why there's hurt and why there's pain is that if, and we're going to see this as the problem with the, first, with the Corinthians, that when you ever pursue the things of God for your own gain, you're completely missing the point, right? What's the point? Verse 7, that a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person. Why? For the common good. In other words, it is supposed to be used for the good, for the building up, for the love of others. And this is the point of Paul's entire context for this entire letter, right? If you've been here throughout this letter, what do you know? It's about loving people. It's about laying aside your freedom to serve other people the same way that Christ has served us. And so the Spirit empowers believers, not so believers can say, hey, look at what I can do. Look at the cool things. Look how spiritual, look how faithful I am. That is not why he empowers us. He empowers us to love and serve other people. And if we lose the point of the spiritual gifts in the first place, that is when we get in trouble, that they're for the common good. They're not for you. They're for others. And so that being said, he's going on to give a, a list of some of the ways that the Spirit might manifest himself in a believer. He says this in verse 8, to one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Uh, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between the Spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One in the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. So let me just say a few things. First, that Paul is not giving a hierarchy of the ways that the Spirit manifests himself in believers. So he's not saying this first one is the best, and here's a second best, here's a third best. He's not saying that. In other words, his point is this, that however the Spirit might manifest himself in the work, in the work of a believer, they all comes from the same God. He's the one that empowers us. Now, we've gone through this list. We've talked about, he mentions miracles and speaking of tongues and healing and prophecy. These are, if you're familiar with the language at all, what are known as supernatural gifts. And so the question is, how do those gifts play out today? And my response is, you're going to have to come back in a few weeks because we're not talking about that this morning, okay? So a, a commercial break. We're going to get there, but not today. Instead, today, I want to focus uh, on a couple other things in regards to how the Spirit's uh, role plays out in believers. First is I would say this, that in here in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 
that we see a list. But this list is not meant to be an exhaustive way, or exhaustive list, in the ways in which the Spirit manifests himself in believers. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, a different book in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, a different book, uh, we also see different lists that Paul gives of the ways that the Spirit manifests himself in believers. Now, what some people will do with the best of intentions, because I've participated this as well, but they'll take all of these lists, they'll put them together, 20 or so, or however many they think there are, and they'll, get, and they'll put them together so you can take a test, and you can take it online or in person or whatever, and you go online, if you've ever done this, and you take a test, and it gives you like your top five instead of strengths, like your spiritual gifts, right? Like these are the ways that the Holy Spirit is going to use you in your life. The problem is, I do not think at all that that is Paul's point. I think if Paul saw that, he'd be like, I mean, I, I see what you're doing there, but that's not the point of these lists. In other words, his point is that this is not an exhaustive list, so this is just some of the ways that the Spirit of God moves in his people. For example, if the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit are to build people up, what's interesting, not in this list, but in some other lists, you see, for example, generosity mentioned, but you don't see prayer. And we know that prayer is a great way to love and encourage other people. They both build each other up, but one's mentioned as part of a list and one isn't. Instead, what seems to be happening when you look at all of the different lists and the various passages in the New Testament of how God might manifest himself is that each time uh, Paul is addressing certain situations to a certain audience. In other words, in 1 Corinthians, as we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, that some of these gifts of the Spirit were being misused or having problems in the church. And so each time he writes a list, he's not necessarily saying here are all of the ways that God moves, but here are the ways that he's particularly moving in your context. And so let's be careful to steward these gifts well. I, I like what Tim Mackey says. He's a scholar. It'll be on the screen. He is the co-founder, uh, by the way, of a, uh, something called The Bible Project. They have podcasts. They have videos. Great resource if you're in, uh, interested in anything about the Bible. It's really understandable, really good. Talking about the gifts of the Spirit, he puts it this way. He says, Paul views the gifts as being activated and empowered by the Spirit. But again, he does, actually doesn't himself ever use the phrase spiritual gifts. The reason why that's important is because the moment you use the phrase spiritual gifts, you get the conception that your spiritual gift is like your Christian superpower. It's how you might have traditionally thought or assumed. It's how I kind of assumed it worked. And it's like, you have that one and I have this one. I don't think that's at all what Paul is saying. What he's saying is there are some things that the Spirit does, and there is a variety of ways that the Spirit can empower or influence people. He calls these gifts or graces, and then he goes on. In other words, it seems that the Paul here is talking about in, in 1 Corinthians the variety of ways, again, that the Spirit can and does work, but he's not necessarily saying that you only have a certain amount of gift, or gifts or gifts, but rather that they can, you can experience different gifts throughout your life in a variety of ways throughout your lifetime. Now, again, to be fair, if you're like me, this is a different way of looking at the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit, than you might be kind of assumed or taught. You, you kind of assumed, like me, this is my, my opinion, uh, that you were just kind of given, here are your top five gifts, you take a test online, and you always have these until you die, but that is not exactly what it looks like is happening in the New Testament. In other words, and, and this part is my opinion, because I know there's kind of debate and controversy, so I want to just lay that out there, that your passions and natural-born giftings are not the same thing as spiritual manifestations in your life. Of course, they're both given by God, but for, in order for them to be something of the Holy Spirit that is given to you only when you become a follower of Christ, they cannot be the same thing. 
In other words, you, I'll just use me, for example, which I'm, you know, just to make it easy, even though it's not my favorite. For example, my ability to preach or teach or to communicate in a public setting, I think has no bearing whatsoever on whether or not I'm a Christian. Like I could sit up here and I could talk to you, I could speak about whatever, and me being a Christian does not make me any better or any worse. Uh, and so wh- why that's important for us to know is I think sometimes when we look at lists like this or uh, the other lists in the New Testament, you'll read that, and if you think you only have a certain amount of gifts that God wants to do in you throughout your lifetime, you'll read lists like this and assume, well, he's not talking to me because clearly I can't do that. But you have to remember, this is not about you. This is about the Spirit and how he wants to use you to love and impact other people. So the first thing, again, is this. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list. This is just some of the ways that the Spirit can manifest himself in the life of a believer, but there are many ways that that could happen. And now here's the second point that we'll look at today, and that's this. Maybe the more interesting question is, okay, that makes sense, and that's interesting. Maybe I can experience different giftings throughout my lifetime, but how does it actually work? Right? How does it actually work? In other words, again, do we have certain gifts that we experience throughout our lifetime? Or do we have certain giftings that we experience at certain times, but that we can experience multiple of them throughout our lifetime? Or is it some combination of uh, the, 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 those two o- options? What is it? Uh, I would present to you, here are the three ways that I have found. Again, ask me in a year. I don't know if I should say that, but maybe my, my opinion will change. But here are the three ways that I have found that we t- traditionally view the gifts and the workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The first way is this, um, or the first way you could phrase this, are they supernatural empowerments on natural-born gifts that happen when we become a believer? In other words, if you're naturally good at something, you just get better at it when you become a Christian. So if I'm up here and I'm teaching publicly, because I'm a Christian, I'm just better at it than I would have been if I wasn't a Christian. That's one way to view it. Uh, I think that's what those spiritual gift tests kind of lean to. Uh, However, I don't think that is exactly what Paul is saying, although that is an option. The second option I think is closer, but I still think misses it a little bit, is this. Perhaps they are supernatural uh, supernatural empowerments at certain times of our natural-born gifts. In other words, it's not like you just get better at whatever you're good at at all the time, but maybe you are good at certain things, and at certain times the Holy Spirit will use your natural-born giftings to make a bigger impact. So maybe I'm up here and I'm preaching, and for whatever reason, one Sunday, the Spirit uses what I say to impact and convict and to build up other people in ways that would not happen if I wasn't a Christian. It's not that I'm better at it all the time, but somehow, whether we're cognizant of it or not, the Spirit just makes us better. I think that's closer, but I also don't think that's fully uh, getting the point. Or here's the third uh, popular opinion, that they are supernatural empowerments, that happens at different times, and that you can experience many of them throughout your life. To me, I think this is the most complete and comprehensive understanding of the gifts of the Spirit. They are supernatural empowerments, whether you're cognizant of it or not when it happens, but you can experience different of them throughout your life in different ways because you never know the situation that God might have you in to love and encourage other people. In other words, it could look like this. Uh, When it comes to generosity, right? Maybe you want to give and you want to help, but for whatever reason you see a need that happens in your community, in the church, or whatever, and that particular need, you decide to give more than you would normally have given. 
Now, that would be a way that the Spirit is using you to love and encourage other people. Or maybe empathy, which is not necessarily listed as a gift of the Holy Spirit in any one of these lists, which is why I don't think this lists are exhausted, exhaustive. Let's say you're in a moment where somebody is going through tragedy and they're hurt or they're in pain, and for whatever reason, and somehow, and somehow some way, God uses you to love and to sit with and to talk with them and, and, way, and allows you to encourage them in ways that you would not have done without the Spirit of God in your life. Or maybe when it comes to hospitality, let's say you have people over to your house, whether it's a community group thing, or maybe you're just having people over, that God might give you the ability, again, whether you know it or not, to be more uh, 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 thinking through how you're going to set your house up, um, the details of the party, what you're going to do in order so that people feel more loved and served. It seems to me that that is what Paul is saying here. If the gifts of the Spirit are for you and I to love and encourage other people, and if we're being cognizant and faithful and asking God to use us to make a difference, we should not limit how the Spirit might want to use, move in our life. Now, that being said, I want to make this point if, you, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, but when I read the, the New Testament, it does seem that certain people use the same gifts over and over again. Like, Paul talks about people who are preachers or teachers or whatever. Like, it seems to me that these people are using this gifting over and over and over again. If it's a random manifestation of the Spirit, how do you continue to use the same gifts? Now, that's a great question. Maybe you weren't even thinking of it, but now that you are, let me just try to answer the best way that I can. Uh, when I'll get, again, use me as an example just because it's easy. There's some gifts, and we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, that I have not experienced or I don't, I'm not intentional about and never really see God do in my life. But teaching, let's just say for the sake of argument, it is one. And I'm thinking about that this week, and I'm like, well, why is that? If it's something that the Spirit does, and then I realize this. When I sit down to write a sermon, what do you think I do? I pray, and then I study. And then before I preach at a Thursday night service or here on Sundays or Saturday night as I'm getting ready, reviewing my notes, what I'm praying, and I'm asking God to what? Speak clearly for God to make an impact for people to be loved and encouraged and convicted if they need to be. What am I doing? I'm intentionally asking God to use me in this way so it should not be surprising if God actually does that. In other words, to make this practical, because I don't want us to just sit here and be like, well, this is interesting. I want to try to make this practical in the next few minutes, and then we'll, they'll close. You might be wondering, what do I do with all this? Here is something that I started doing uh, earlier this summer, partially because I knew this stuff was coming up, partially because I've just been like wondering how this even works and the spiritual stuff works at all, is this is a prayer that I started praying this summer every single day, and that's this, and it'll be on the screen. Uh, here's the prayer. God, help me love others well by the power of your spirit. I think the first step, and we're going to talk about this more over the next couple of weeks, to experience the, the Spirit in your life is to ask Him, not for your own benefit, not so you can say, look at the cool things that I did, or look how faithful or spiritual I am. That's not the point. The point is for you and I to love people well by the power of your Spirit. Now, I don't know if anyone over the last couple of months would say, Dylan, I feel more loved by you. I don't know if they would say that, but here's what I do know. I'm more cognizant of it. I'm thinking about it. I'm asking God to use me to love people in however he sees fit. And what I've experienced in my own personal life, and this may be true of you, is that you may not feel empowered by God because you have never asked. In other words, you have, if you're a follower of Christ, you have God's spirit, but you may not have his power. And it's simply because you have simply never asked. And that's the prayer. God, would you help me love others well by the power of your spirit. Would you help me be more intentional and however you see fit in whatever situation I am, help me love other people well by the power of your spirit. When you do that, 
then you're able to do what Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm not going to explain it because we're going to get there in two weeks, a couple weeks, but I just want to read to you the passage of love, right? This is a passage, whether you're familiar with it or not, you've heard it at a wedding, but I want us to see the context in which it was written. The context that 1 Corinthians 13 was written was not just kind of standalone, isolated event, but it's the context of this entire book that we're supposed to love other people well and... You can't do what it says in this chapter without the Spirit of God moving in your life. And here's what he says, verse 1. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understanding and all the mysteries and all knowledge, and I have, and I have faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. It says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. In other words, this is what Christ has done for us, that he laid down his life not because we're awesome or we deserve it, but that anyone who would trust and follow him in the midst of our falling short, in the midst of our screwing up, can experience the love and the grace of the Father. And Paul's point is this, that you cannot do what we all think is so awesome without the Spirit working in your life. In other words, here is why I think it's important for us to be maybe more intentional and in praying and asking God to move in our life. Here's why. And really, this is the point of the text this morning, and that's this, that without the Spirit of God, your ability to love is limited to your ability. Without the Spirit of God moving in your life, your ability to love other, well, other people well is limited to your ability. And I don't know about you, but here's the scale of my ability. Awful to maybe just okay on a good day. Like awful, and then maybe if I'm, you know, if I'm nice and I've been hanging around my wife, Christina, who's much more loving and empathetic than I am, maybe I've learned a few things from her and I can you know, practice that a little bit better. Right? You're without the Spirit of God, your ability to do what it says in chapter 13 is just really a good idea, but it is not something that you have the power to do. And my hope is over the next couple of weeks that we, as we look at something that's interesting and, and, and we maybe want to learn more, we want the Spirit of God to use us more in our life, but we have to remember that the point of all of this is this, to love people well. It's not about you. It's not about oppressing people. It's loving people well the way Christ has loved us, that he gladly laid down his life to serve, and to give us the opportunity to feel his grace, his forgiveness, and his hope. And here at New City Church, again, our mission is to help people meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. And all that starts because Christ took the first step towards us. And so we do this so that we can experience God in fresh ways, and also so that other people can experience the grace, the redemption, and the forgiveness of God. Again, without the Spirit of God, your ability to love is limited to your ability. And that is why he gladly gives of himself to help us do this to accomplish his mission. Let's pray.